of Luke, and I'll pull over to the book of John. Um, but I, I believe that when you look at what was going on, things happened a little bit differently. First off, he did this around Passover. Passover is what you, you remember from the Exodus where they, they would call the families. They were to kill a lamb. They were to, they were to, to eat the bitter herbs. They were to uh, uh, eat that lamb roasted, not boiled or sodden, roasted. And, and even way back at the first Passover, the understanding was that the, the roasting of the lamb may have left it a little rare because you didn't know when you needed to leave. We didn't have time to fix some grand meal. It was do it, just roast it, get a few little herbs and put it there. And I began to read something and it seems like perhaps they had gone to a little bit of a, of a ceremony. There, there may have been upwards of four cups of wine, if you will, that they would have used. That, that they would have taken time in the ceremony of Passover. They would have eaten the, 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 those, those bitter herbs and then drank. And then they would have... Uh, eaten some of the lamb, and then they would have drank, and, and on and on. But so, so they were familiar as disciples. They were familiar with the concept of Passover. They did it once a year. They would gather together. Things were, it, it happened all over the city. And Jesus told the disciples, and he told some of them, he said, I want you to go in. go to." And, and you heard my dad preach an incredible message about John Mark just a few weeks ago. And, and it, this was most likely John Mark's house. They went there, the table was set, everything was there. The disciples were there, and they were probably expecting just one more Passover. One more retelling of the stories that happened in Exodus. But this was going to be a night they would never forget. It was a night that would touch them in ways they never dreamed nor understood how important that night was. They went, they had Passover. It was most likely, and I'm not going to do this, gentlemen, okay? But uh, you know the epistles that says, greet each other with a holy kiss? I'm not going to do that. Jason said, absolutely not. But, but you have to realize in that day and time that, 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 that greeting meant something far greater, okay? It was a, and, and you've seen it perhaps in some Middle Eastern cultures. You, you've seen it. They, they, they bring together, it's a quick it's hard for me to talk about it, but you know what I'm saying. It's quick peck on cheek, on, on each cheek and say, welcome. But I want you to understand that Jesus most likely greeted each of them when they walked in with a kiss. Is there another place in the story of Passover and the Last Supper where a kiss was given? Absolutely. It's that traitorous kiss from Judas at the end. But you have to understand that even though Jesus knew everything that was going to take place, he welcomed each man with the same greeting. Because no matter what you've done or will do in your life, Jesus loves you. They sat down at the table. Um, Brother Hera and I were talking about this this morning when I was asking him to help me out and, 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 and going back. But in reality, on, on one side, because when you begin to piece things together as it comes to uh, uh, how it all goes together, you realize that on one side was John. On the other side was Judas. You say, why was Judas there? How do you know? Because there was a point where the Lord says that whoever's hand is in the sop. And that, how many of you have been to an Italian restaurant where they put that little bowl of olive oil and they put some good herbs in it? That's exactly, it's good stuff. I tell them, just keep pouring it there. I can eat that as a whole meal. 
But it, that's what they call the sop because the idea is you would take a piece of bread and sop it that up. And so there's a moment in the story where Judas' hand is in the same bowl with Jesus. And you couldn't do that unless you were right next to him. Another portion of the story, and we'll get to it, tells us, and this was some of the conversation Brother Hare and I had, another portion of the story says there was a moment where, where Peter asked John, what did Jesus say? Because Peter was a little bit on the, on the outskirts, he, he couldn't hear everything, it was a, they were eating, they were there. They begin to take and they begin to eat. They ate the Passover like they would and went through all of that, and then the Lord stopped and I kind of feel that God that, that, that the Lord he he something changed in the atmosphere you ever just noticed it happens in church it happened tonight have you ever just noticed how sometimes you can just tell you're at a one of those critical moments the dinner conversation began to quell and Jesus took the cup I got 12 cups I didn't get a cup for me You can drink after me later. Jesus took the cup. And when he had given thanks, and he, he, he said, divide it among yourselves. Because there was an element of the Passover that there, there was a, a communal cup at the end that passed. Again, in this generation, y'all wouldn't handle that. So we tried to do it. He took it. They divided it up. And then you have that first communion. He tells him he breaks the bread and he begins to hand pieces. And why don't y'all just grab it? I'm not going to break it for all of you. Why don't you uh, grab a piece of bread, disciples? And they grabbed their, their bread and he broke it. He gave it to them and this is what he said. So gentlemen, what you hold in your hand it's my body. My body's going to be broken. My body's going to be torn asunder. But I want you, as you eat this bread, the bread that I broke and I gave to each one of you, as you take and you eat that bread, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. About as awkward of silence as it is now. It would have been there. Because Passover meal was a meal. Yeah, there was some ceremony in it, but man, they ate and they got their fill and they talked and they talked about who was fishing and who caught what and who went to the market. They talked about all that. And now the Lord is saying things and, and it seemed like the longer they walked with Jesus, the more cryptic he became. And they began to have trouble following the train of thought that the Lord was given. They chewed that bread and it took, it felt like, and it does right now, it felt like it took hours. And Jesus is saying, when you chew this bread, remember me. Bartholomew and Thaddeus looked at Thaddeus, looked at each other and said, this makes no sense. I eat bread every day. You're telling me that every day I got to think about Jesus? Why is he saying this? It didn't make sense. And then he... He took the cup. And he said, when you drink of the fruit of this vine, remember the blood 
that's for your covering of your sin. When you drink. There you go, son. Again, the, 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 <laughs> the wine that they drank, the juice that they drank, the fruit of the vine that they drank was a common thing. There's really, to be honest, I don't know that there's anything special about the fact that they drank this wine. Uh, if it was today happening, it'd be a Coke or a Dr. Pepper or something like that. It was just what they always drank. Now they're drinking it and he's saying, remember me. Goes on, he, he's talking, they don't understand. And he says, there's, he, he gets this, this moment. If you, if you read in, in, in the book of John, you'll find that, that it, it says that he was, he was grieved during supper. In verse 2, John, chap, or John chapter 13, verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jude, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he began to say, and if you begin to, to connect those, he says, one of you today is going to betray me. Can you imagine how that phrase cut through all that was going on. If Jesus didn't have their attention then, he had it now. One of you is going to betray me. Instantly, they begin to look at each other. They begin to say, what is he talking about? Who would betray? What would be going on? What in the world? Why would he say such a thing? And if you read in the book of Luke... It says, a dispute rose among them as to who was to be regarded as the greatest. Rather than examine themselves and say, is it I? Their haughty, arrogant nature took over. I can just see, you got to think Peter had to be the first one to start talking over there. Peter's like, well, I can tell you right now, I would never betray you, Jesus. I have walked with you. I mean, I was up there on the Mount of Transfiguration, and, and there ain't a chance. I'll go with you until the day you die. And on and on down the line, John looked at Jesus and said, there ain't a chance, Lord. I wouldn't do it. Judas maybe even tried to say, I wouldn't do it either. Peter and, and all of them, not me. Oh, it couldn't be me. While I'm the one, and, and, and although we think of John as a pretty good disciple, maybe at this point he, he kind of said, well, you know what? I'm really Jesus' favorite. I'm sitting right here next to him, and, 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 and I know I'm even kind of related to him, and man, I wouldn't do it. Jesus has let me walk into some incredible places with him, and I've watched him walk on water. I would never do it. And they begin to argue among themselves, who is the greatest? In my mind, in the, in the vision that I see of the story, Jesus sits there and lets them talk. Much like parents, sometimes you just are so tired, you just let the kids fight it out. And he sits. They don't understand what's going on. They're too busy caught up in their own world. They're too busy caught up in their own understanding. And, 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 and they're, they're arguing, and I'm better, and I'm greater, and I'm going to do more things. And, and the Lord said, one day, greater things than this shall we do. And surely he was talking about me. And meanwhile, Jesus sits, and he's quiet, and he grows quiet, and the visage of his face begins to sag. 
And Jesus, in John chapter 13, gets up. And, and nobody paid attention for the moment. He gets up. He takes off his outer garment. And while they're arguing, and they're fussing, and they're fighting, Jesus grabs a bucket of water. The reason the bucket was there is because it was common that when you came into a house, you had been walking outside on dusty streets. You had been walking where camels and donkeys and horses and cows had walked before. You had, you had been there where things were laying in the street that we don't like to talk about. You don't have nice patent leather shoes on. You got sandals. And you've walked through the dust and the muck and the mire and your feet are dirty. They didn't have vacuum cleaners then. They could have washed with hands, but so it was common that when you entered into a house, there would be a, a servant or a host or somebody would, would stop and they would wash your feet so that when you walked into the house, you didn't carry all the junk from outside. But on that day, nobody thought to wash anybody's feet. And they're sitting there with their dirty feet and Jesus just, without really saying much, just begins to roll up his sleeve and you know how it is, somebody catches what Jesus is doing and begins to kind of wonder what, what's going on and one by one, they grow quiet. One by one, they, they stop talking. One by one, they're watching. He's not saying much, he just sits there. He walks over to Peter. And with Peter kind of trying to figure out what's going on, because I'll be honest, while they were used to somebody washing their feet, they weren't used to Jesus washing their feet. And so it became very... Uh... Peter sat there. And as Jesus began to wash his feet, and that dust and that dirt began to come off of them. And Jesus grabbed a towel and he began to dry those feet. Peter got incensed. Peter says, why are you doing that, Jesus? Don't wash my feet. And Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can't be clean. Peter goes, well, in that case, wash me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Jesus goes on to say, well, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm trying to explain that there's going to be some places and some things you walk with, and you've got to have a clean walk with God. He picks it up. Now, the Bible tells us that he washed everybody's feet. I don't have time in the sermon to do that, but you have to imagine he goes down the list and he washes feet. He gets to John. John was standing there. And Jesus, Jesus bends down. 
Jesus was not necessarily doing it for everybody to see. There was a, a moment where there was a moment where kind of as, as the Lord got to each person, there was an intimate kind of the, the world, if you will, shrunk, and it was just that person and Jesus. And God, he reached down and he, he washed John's foot. All of the dirt, all of the grime of that, of that day's walk came off in that dirty old pot. But here's what I want you to understand. As Jesus went around and as you begin to look at the timeline of what went on, Jesus looked, Jesus looked at Judas. Now, what's interesting is when you read, there, there's not a lot that's said about Judas, but when you read about Judas, you find out that very, very early on in Judas's walk with Jesus, Jesus had already understood that Judas was on a path that would lead to ultimate betrayal. And Jesus knelt down the one that would later on give him that traitorous kiss. The one that would ultimately put Jesus in the hands of those that would inflict the most heinous uh, pain and, and torture that could ever be on a person. Jesus bent down to that foot. And he washed that foot. That dirt. I wonder what was going on. In Judas's mind at that moment. He washed the feet of the beloved disciple. He washed the feet of the impetuous Peter. He washed the feet of Matthew the tax collector. He washed the feet of each and every one of them. Now, why did he do that? I mean, this was God manifest in the flesh. This was God who had, if you will, in a sense, vacated the throne of heaven in order to walk with mankind and talk with them and be a part of their life. Why in the world would God himself manifest in the flesh, stoop to wash the feet of disciples that were going to fail and mess up? turn around. Some of them would betray him. Some of them would deny him. Some of them would run away. Why would he do it? Because he understood that even though I'm God in the flesh, the greatest thing you can ever do is serve one another. There is no greatest ones in the kingdom of God. There is no rock stars in the kingdom of God. There is no one that can put on their resume, look at me, look at me, look what I've done. Because if you ever do that, there's going to be a God standing with a towel, a dirty towel draped on his hands. And he says, yeah, but when was the last time you washed your brother's feet? They sit there now. They've already tried to figure out what in the world they're doing, eating bread and thinking about Jesus' body and drinking wine and thinking about his blood. Now they've got freshly washed feet and they're, it's awkward and they're trying to figure how all of that is. And then at the end of that, Jesus said, there's one that's going to betray me. And it's the one 
in whom is dipping his bread with me. Every eye turns to where Jesus' hand is. And Judas' hand is right there. The book of, the book of John, and I, I'd like you to, to look at this with me, if you will. Book of John chapter 13 and verse number 26. And Jesus answered and said, It's to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And he dipped the bread. He gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And when Judas had taken the morsel, Satan entered to him. And Jesus said, Whatever you're doing, do quickly. And verse 28 says, And no one around knew what Jesus said to Judas. Now, just a few moments after this, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, or Peter, Peter, before the night ends, you're going to deny me. Jesus points his finger and calls out Peter in front of everybody else and says, you're going to deny me. I have written in my Bible, why did Jesus not call out the traitor? You ever wondered that? Why did he call out Peter, put Peter on the spot and point his finger and say, you're going to betray me? Why did he do that? But he didn't call out Judas. In fact, everything that he did with Judas was quiet. No one else knew what was going on. In fact, there were some that when Judas finally left, when Judas got up and left, when Judas ran away, John chapter 13 says they didn't even know why he left. They thought maybe because he was the one that carried the money, they thought maybe they needed more food and he was going to buy some. They thought that maybe he was going to go give to the poor. He received a morsel of bread. He went out and it was night. And then Jesus pointed his finger at Peter and he said, you're going to deny me. Oh, Peter, Peter, he, he, he blustered and flustered and said, I'd never do that. Lord, I would die for you before I would deny you. Later on, of course, we go to the garden and he says, pray with me an hour. And Peter can't even pray an hour. He, if you can't pray with Jesus for an hour, you're certainly not going to die for Jesus. They go, they leave. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas comes. Jesus is crucified. Everything is playing out. Now that's the story of the first last supper. <laughs> but one thing I begin to think about, and we don't know exactly when it happened, but there was a moment where all of these disciples except Judas got together again post-Calvary. I'm wondering just maybe if they gathered together. Because see, the Bible says as oft as you do this when you eat a meal. And so we got to be careful that we don't connect the Last Supper to Passover. The Last Supper was not just supposed to happen when Passover happened. It was to happen anytime they got together. And, and, and that's why you know a lot of times we equate the, the, the communion with unleavened bread. But that doesn't have to be. Unleavened bread was only for Passover. And, and you were to take communion, if you will. You were to, to remember that no matter what went on. If you were eating at your house, he said, when you break that bread, take a moment and remember what I've done. 
I begin to think, what was it like the first time they sat? I don't know who, who brought it up. I don't know who said, hey, do you remember what Jesus said? And, and they took that bread and, and, and they began to break it. And, and, and I just wonder what went through their mind as they ate it and they, all of a sudden light bulbs went off. Ding, ding, ding. It didn't make a lick of sense at that last supper because Jesus had not yet died. But now they're sitting at that next communion. And they're eating and they're looking and they're going, oh, this is what it meant. I'm talking about the one that's, the, the communion that's post uh, Acts 2.38. The one where all those promises that God had promised them have come to pass and they're realizing, they're walking in the power of the Holy Ghost, that comforter which is promised. And now they understand and Peter, the coward of Calvary, is now the preacher of Pentecost. And you see all these things going on and I wonder the first time Peter grabbed that bread what went through his mind I'm going to tell you what went through his mind he grabbed that bread and tears began to roll when he realized I denied him and he still died for me that I failed him I cussed, I cursed, I ran away I said I don't know him, I don't like him I don't want to be with him and yet he was the one that allowed me to be filled with the spirit and now I'm able to preach and look what God is doing and he took that and he held it and he said it makes so much sense now he died for me when, when, when Peter took a drink of that and Peter remembered the blood that dripped off the cross. It wasn't some stagnant uh, uh, ceremony now. It had meaning. They had watched him die. Paul comes about later. Paul, who as far as we can tell, was not privileged to walk with Jesus. And there may be even be an understanding that Paul didn't even see Jesus die. It, he, he was a, a, a disciple and apostle after the fact. But Paul was the one that spoke so much about communion. Because every time Paul picked up the bread, Paul said, How in the world could God love one who murdered his church? How in the world could God love one who, who did everything I could to put them in jail? And if I could have got a hold of Peter, if I could have got a hold of John and James, I'd have killed them too. But somewhere on that, that road to Damascus, Jesus shone down. And I realized that that body he was broken on the cross was broken for me. Today... This communion has several different applications. The one thing that I've learned, and I've been talking with some, but I don't know how you've taken communion in your life, but growing up, communion was always a little wafer. And it was, uh, I mean, you put it on your tongue and it instantly dissolves. We've done it here differently. We've, I've, I've had communion here at the church where we gave you a little bit bigger glass, but the Bible says remember while you take it. That's why we try to give you a little bit piece, bigger piece of bread so it takes you a minute to chew it. So it lets you remember why he died. So tonight, when we get ready to take communion, 
Judas, Jesus loves you. Why did Jesus wash Judas' feet? Why did Judas, why did Jesus give Judas that kiss? Why did Jesus speak softly to Judas and not call him out in front of everybody? It's because Jesus waited until the last possible minute so that Judas could repent. He didn't call out Judas because if he'd have called out Judas in front of everybody, Judas probably would have ran away even faster. But God gave him every chance because I'm telling you, Judas, you're the one sitting in this audience. Jesus loves you. And you haven't gotten so far from God that he doesn't want to break that bread and hand it to you and say, remember why I died. And so if you're in this building and you're a Judas, it's interesting, there's a, a, there's a church overseas, it's, it's kind of a reflection place. From what I understand, there's a, you walk into this little chapel and there's a, an old rugged cross on the back wall and a range in a semicircle are 12 chairs. Each of those 12 chairs bears the name of a disciple. And the instructions are, sit in a chair, look at the cross, and reflect. And what they've said is the chair with the most wear is Mark Judas. Think, Brother Lee, I mean, if I'm going to pick a chair, surely I'd pick John's chair. I can't find anything bad about John hardly in the Bible. Maybe I'd pick Peter's chair because I'm pretty impetuous and I'd, I'd get there. Maybe I'd pick Peter's chair, but the reality is when you're honest with yourself, most of us realize we're a lot more like Judas than we care to think. And Jesus says, here's my body. I broke it for you. I died for you. I loved you. And Judas left just a little bit too soon. And he never got that freedom. The Bible says he sought for repentance, or, or he, he went out and he wept bitterly through the night, but he never repented. And he ended up hanging at the end of a gallow. Meanwhile, Peter ran and cried and sought repentance. And he found it. And God restored him. And so, for Judas's, Jesus loves you. And he did everything he could to give you a chance. Peter, Jesus loves you. But sometimes in our life, we're a bit more like Peter than Judas, and, and, and Jesus has to resort to tough love. But he does it because he loves you, and he knows you have a purpose. Jude, the book of Jude shows us that perfect. It says, some you save with love, but others you save just pulling them out of the fire, hating with garments stained. And so if you're a Peter here today, sometimes Jesus has to thump you upside the head and remind you that, hey, you're walking a dangerous road. I need you to get focused. I need you to get grounded. I need you to, to understand that, that, that I'm, I'm talking to you, Peter. 
quit. It's kind of like when you talk to a kid and they keep talking. And finally you just say, would you please be quiet and let me finish? That's what Peter was doing. Oh, don't wash me. Don't cleanse me. Don't do all of this. Jesus finally looked at him and said, would you just stop talking? And would you let me explain what I want to do for your life? And so tonight, we're going to gather. I want to invite you to stand. Thank you, gentlemen. understand a little bit more of the emotions that were there. That that last supper was for Judas and for Peter and for John and for Bartholomew and for Thaddeus and all of those. And tonight this communion is for all of you. I realize and I understand that that Paul said that we've got to be careful we don't take communion unworthily and there's an understanding of that. But in reality the only way you could ever take communion unworthily is if you want to come and blaspheme or make fun of the sacrifice that God has done in your life. If if there's some sin in your life, don't let sin stop you from taking a moment to reflect on the grace and the mercy of God. Now, if you want to come up here and flaunt your sin in God's face and say, I can do whatever I want to do, you're walking a dangerous road and that's between you and God and I'm going to let you sort it out. But in my life, communion should never be withheld from someone that is hungry and needs the grace of God. Because God gave it to Judas, and he knew what Judas was going to do. And so tonight, what I would like to do, and and I don't know, maybe Darren and Kenny, maybe you could kind of usher and help me, but starting from, from the inside uh, you know, each row, this, this inside, starting from the very back. We're going to let you come here to the front, just, just in, a, in, a, in a line, and keep going the back row, the next row, the next row.